everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, and along with our chief strategist, Shelley Cohan, who, by the way, is also a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, we welcome you to our conversation on the topic of post-pandemic pricing power. Not a chance. (laughs) So I'm going to start out with a quick kind of simple primer. Inflation occurs when demand for goods and services exceeds supply. What that means is a scarcity of supply, which means its value increases and therefore its price. When this happens across the entire economy, it can begin to cause a severe inflationary cycle. The last time we've seen this happen in the United States is in the late 70s, early 80s, when we were coming out of arguably the most explosive growth period in our history. Demand was literally chasing supply, to put it in simple terms. And this was all exacerbated by OPEC raising oil prices which severely reverberated throughout the economy. So between then and now, we have had fairly low rates of inflation, simply because there has been a growing imbalance of too much supply chasing too little demand. So what does this have to do with the here and now? Well, most of you are probably aware of what many economists are predicting once this pandemic leaves. They envision a post-pandemic economic surge, (laughs) believing, of course, that the trillions of dollars that they firehosed into the economy to keep it from collapsing, uh, they say will meet head on with consumers post-pandemic pent up demand with trillions in personal savings, uh, the stimulus checks they all received, and and that combined with rock bottom interest rates, essentially free money, right? That this will spark kind of a, I don't know, roaring 20s version of obsessive consumption. But they believe that this level of hyper demand will not be balanced by sufficient supply, which will result in rising prices. Thus, the economy, they say, will experience higher levels of dangerous inflation. That's really interesting. Um, As you know, reported in both the New York Times and Wall Street Journal, the inflation rate actually did bounce up in March higher than most economists expected at 2.6%. But we have to keep in mind that part of that increase was based on last year's drop in price when the pandemic shut down major parts of the economic drivers. And also we have to remember that that 2.6 uptick was also being impacted largely by an increase in gasoline prices. But more importantly is that the median expectation for one-year inflation rose to 3.2% last month. It's the highest point it's been since 2014. And while expectations typically are higher than actual inflation results, 
what happens is these expectations themselves drive inflation as businesses react to the numbers being reported. They increase prices and workers demand higher rate wages. So it's like a, this self-fulfilling prophecy. The media and economic experts are suggesting inflation higher than we've seen in 40 years based on this quote unquote pent up demand span, which we're seeing for the first spike of in March with retail sales up 9.8% compared to February. That's a big boost. Yeah, I get it, Shelley. And I, and I, I also expect a surge in pent up demand. Uh, no, no doubt it's going to happen. And who knows, we might even be heading into a boom, at least likely over the next several months. Compared to, to last year, though, when the economy was stopped dead in its tracks. But Jerome Powell and Janet Yellen camps of economists do believe it's only going to be transitory, okay? And will recede to the roughly 2% level of the past several decades that we've been experiencing. Robin, I think you need to help us debunk this inflationary myth. What do you think is the basis for the Yellen and Powell camps, as you call them? And what's your view as well? Sure. Well, <clears throat> kind of let me expand on what I believe is the rationale, okay? There, there has been, since the 1980s, a growing disequilibrium of excessive supply, outpacing demand, and as laid out in the first chapter, by the way, the first chapter of my co-authored book, Retail Seismic Shift, which, by the way, predated the pandemic. That The first chapter of that book says, and we lay out incredible logic for this, that the imbalance will continue indefinitely, okay? So with the exception of scarce, innovative, or highly differentiated highly differentiated products, the path to stealing a share of the consumer's wallets is reduced to the low-hanging fruit of promotional pricing. Promotional pricing over and over again. So in this reality, deflation can become the bigger threat uh, to the economy. So what's the logic here, Robin? I mean, what are the drivers that have really perpetuated this oversupply? I'm sure that supply chain and speed to market are large contributors to this imbalance for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, starting in the 80s, leading up to now, and why we have experienced very, flow, very low inflation rates, there are six fundamental dynamics, okay, that will continue to drive the supply-demand imbalance. And they are, one, increase in globalization and low-cost production, kind of a no-brainer. Two, lower-cost ingredient materials for products. Three, increased efficiency. Four, increasing number of supply chains and distribution platforms. Five, low productivity growth. And six, low real income growth. And of course, all of these factors are exacerbated by the growing income gap, which, as we all know, has been hollowing out the middle class, along with enormous spending anxieties 
of the majority of low-income consumers. And this is not offset by the spending of the wealthy 1% who tend to save and, and or invest rather than spend. So Shelley, on top of these, uh, how do you see uh, the emerging next-gen consumer cohort and technology playing into this supply demand imbalance? Well, Robin, let's first chat about the millennials, the Gen Z and Gen Alpha cohorts, which will continue to grow in terms of purchasing power. And these younger generations, who, by the way, Robin, are some of them are turning 40 this year, if you can believe it. Um, and right. re they're reaching their peak earning years. Um, so they're making purchasing decisions based on how a company does business. They ask if the brand is a good corporate citizen. And if so, what specifically are they doing to contribute back to the planet, people, or communities? We just, Robin Report just posted the first of its CEO webinar series featuring Rick Caruso. He's the CEO of Caruso. It's a real estate developer. Um, and he talks about how when creating shopping environments like the Grove in LA, Americana at Brand in Glendale, California, he starts with understanding the community needs first. And noteworthy to state that these two properties are the top two of the total top 15 communities in the world. We've also seen a growth in public benefits companies and the number of certified B Corp companies has tripled in five years to 3,500 across 70 countries. So this idea of purpose has really pro proclaimed a higher purchasing consideration than price in many cases. The past few decades of massive consumption are coming to an end and these generational cohorts look to upcycle, recycle, reuse more products. Even brands are making great inroads in creating less of an environmental footprint. Coming out of the pandemic, with nature putting all of us on notice that she's in charge, we will see an accelerated desire from consumers to take better care of the planet. This will translate into a major shift of less consumerism and reduced need for constant purchasing. Brands that have a unique value proposition and a clear purpose for doing business beyond profits are the ones that are going to prosper. Technology, of course, will also play a role in this supply and demand imbalance, as you call it. Um, as you keenly pointed out, Robin, supply chain efficiencies are a major contributing factor to overproduction of goods. Robotics, machine learning, and other artificial intelligence technologies are going to continue to enable even greater efficiencies in both pre and post production. Also vendor collaborated supply chains will foster higher levels of innovation and enable retailers to better meet the demand of the target markets. I just don't see a shortage of products in the industry, although there might be some out of stocks of unpredicted, highly demanded products but real-time inventory visibility coupled with a nimble supply chain can really increase the speed to market and even create products on demand. Yeah, all that stuff, those are great points, Shelley. And they're all very true. You know, technology today is embedded into every function of the value chain and, you know, which enhances the ability to produce and distribute more <laughs> of everything 
effectively and efficiently. So, but another dent in slowing demand is the fact that the boomers also uh, are going to be downscaling into retirement and they're spending more of their dwindling dollars on travel, leisure, entertainment, health and well-being. Certainly not closets full of stuff, right? Yeah, my boomer friends are doing just that. Right. Hey, Robin, I have a question for you from one of our followers who reached out to me on LinkedIn. I gave them kind of a high-level description of our upcoming podcast, and they wanted me to ask you how the current shortages of raw materials and shipping congestion in U.S. ports are really impacting pricing. You know, there's been a shortage of some raw materials, microchips. Uh, there's a shortage of shipping containers. There's been a move by some companies uh, to use air freight, which is going to add to the cost, obviously, higher costs. Um, and then there's other issues su suggesting that the supply chain's a bit congested. How will this impact consumer pricing for how long and to what extent? Yeah, very good question. I'm glad you got that from one of your students, did you say? <laughs> no, one of my contacts in LinkedIn. Oh, okay. No, again, you know, all of these back end kind of supply chain and logistics issues, uh, lack of raw materials, increasing energy costs, which you pointed out, shipping, all that stuff. And yes, with, with the surging post-pandemic pent-up demand spike, which is going to be, it will drive costs up on the supply side, okay? To obviously, to meet the surging demand. And retailers, for example, will... <laughs> try to raise prices to the extent they can. Well, we'll believe that when we see it. Um, anyway, so the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, will have a temporary inflationary bump, okay? But temporary, again, is the operative uh, reality. And one last thing here, Shelley, for our audience, kind of an irony, but not so surprising, and totally confirming of excess supply over demand, and forever forcing lower prices. According to Coresight Research, as of the middle of March 2021, 3,344 new store openings were announced in the United States versus 2,649 announced closings, which by itself would be a head scratcher, right? But guess where the majority of those openings are coming from? Off pricers, dollar stores, and outlets. So what do you think this says about excessive supply chasing demand? Number one, there is so much supply that it seeks the lowest price formats to best get rid of the excess. Number two, more consumers than ever are seeking these off-price and dollar stores. And number three, the once full-price legacy department of big box stores, they're finding today that their own off-price and outlet stores are now where most of their growth is coming from. It's incredible. So, yes, inflation is <laughs> so last century. 
That's a great point to end on, Robin. I want to thank our listeners uh, for all the support. You can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media, link in with us, and follow us on Twitter for the latest thoughts about the industry. And to end all of this, (laughs) uh, obviously, you're going to find more provocative insights on therobinreport.com. But what I'd like to say to you is that, you know, this topic, uh, we, we developed this topic in this conversation. One of the people who was in the audience a couple of weeks ago asked us to cover. So I'm reaching out to you guys listening today. If you've got a topic you would love to hear us talk about and come to some conclusions on, uh, just email me at robin at therobinreport.com. And thanks again for joining us.